we have this year been thinking about what it means not to get back to normal, but to move forward with God. And in these last few weeks particularly, we've talked about what it means to move forward from a carefree life to a committed one. So we began by talking about how God, who is the only being capable of real, complete freedom, chooses and said to be a God who makes and keeps promises, a God of covenants and commitments. Then we talked about our calling uh, to make commitments in our financial lives, in our relational lives. And last week I told you that we were going to talk about the most important commitment that we can ever make in our lives. That was the commitment to go all in in our relationship with Jesus, with the whole gospel in our whole lives the whole time. And I stand by that statement that that was uh, the most important commitment we can make, but I want to offer an an addendum to that. Uh, It's often been said that there are two days that are the most important days of your life, the day that you're born and the day you discover why. And and I want to suggest the same thing is true in a more important sense in our spiritual lives, that there is the day you are born again, And the day you discover why Christ has called you to follow him. The the time when you commit to follow Jesus to go all in with Christ. And then the time you commit to the mission of God in your life. the, The calling to which Christ has called you. The great thing he has for you to do. And so today we're going to talk about that second part. That that calling to be goal-oriented in our spiritual lives, to know God's great purpose for us and to live into it on on a daily basis. Uh, My my concern uh, in this conversation is that if we don't have those spiritual goals in our lives, if we don't have some great purpose, um, then we can become kind of directionless in our faith, right? We just sort of drift from here to there. Um, We go to church when it's convenient or read the Bible when we remember but there's no great urgency because there's no great purpose. So um, how do we figure out um, what God's goal is for us? How do we figure out um, the great purpose of God's um, plan in our lives? There are a couple of reasons this is hard. Uh, Amanda got me reading a book on parenting called Never Say No. And it begins by talking about the goals we set for our children. And it was really quite compelling So it says everybody has um, certain goals that we kind of share as parents, right? We all want our kids to be safe and healthy and happy and successful. But there's a danger if our goal for our child is that she or he is uh, safe or healthy or happy or successful because if that's our only goal for them, none of those things are achievable. If my goal is just for you to be happy, then no matter how much I pamper you and spoil you and give you everything you ask, I can never make you happy. If my goal is just uh, to keep you safe, no matter how much I protect you and hover over you like a helicopter parent, I'll, I'll never really make you safe, right? Because happiness and safety and health and success are tied up in things that are necessarily beyond me. So, so the book asks, what are we trying to make our kids healthy for? What do we want our kids to be successful for? What do we want our kids to be happy for? And it talks about self-esteem and character, which are also great goals, but, but not ultimate goals. And, and of course, uh, ultimately, the book says, 
our, our purpose for our child, for our children, for our family has to be related somehow to God, right? That there has to be some ultimate good that their happiness and their self-esteem and their character and their success are all tied to. And I would suggest that even salvation isn't an end unto itself, that Jesus doesn't just save us for no purpose. Jesus saves us so that we can be about His purpose, so that we can live and right relationship with Him and each other, right? Uh, salvation points us not just to something that is done in the past, but to what we should do in the future, what our life with God should look like. So one of the challenges for our um, goal setting in our spiritual life is sometimes we, we shoot too low, right? We shoot too low. W one of the other challenges is sometimes we have so many goals that are so lofty and grandiose that they sort of start to lose meaning for us. One of my favorite examples of this comes from uh, 1958, the goals of NASA. And, and I'm going to read you NASA's um, stated goals in 1958. There's eight of them. They're long, and they are, well, they're a little tedious, okay? Uh, so I, I put them on your screen just so you can see if you just play those. Thank you. Um, so NASA's goals in 1958. Number one, the expansion of human knowledge of phenomena in the atmosphere and space. Number two, the improvement of the usefulness, performance, speed, safety, and eff efficiency of aeronautical and space vehicles. Keep going. Uh, number three, the development and operation of vehicles capable of carrying instruments, equipment, supplies, and living organisms through space. Number four, the establishment of long-range studies of the potential benefits to be gained from the opportunities for and the problems involved in the utilization of aeronautical and space activities for peaceful and scientific purposes. I'm going to ask you to memorize these later. No, I'm not. That would be horrible. Number five, the preservation of the role of the United States as a leader in aeronautical and space science and technology and in the application thereof to the conduct of peaceful activities within and without the atmosphere. Number six, the making available to agencies directly concerned with national defense of discoveries that have military value or significance and the furnishing by such agencies to the civilian agency established to direct and control non-military nautical and space activities of information as two discoveries which have value or significance to that agency. I don't even know what that means. Okay, number seven, cooperation by the United States with other nations and groups of nations and work done pursuant to this act and the peaceful application of the results thereof. And the last one, I promise, the most effective utilization of the scientific and engineering resources of the United States with close cooperation among all interested agencies of the United States in order to avoid unnecessary duplication of effort, facilities, and equipment. And I got to tell you, nothing fires me up with great passion like avoiding unnecessary duplication of equipment, right? That just, oh, just really catches my heart. Here's the problem, right? As ridiculous as those goals are, sometimes our spiritual goals sound like that, right? We have one thing after another, these lofty theological titles, these grandiose designs that don't catch our heart and don't really matter to us, that can get lost in the, the frantic, busy pace of our lives. And I, I am concerned that without setting our goals um, high enough to have value and yet relevant enough uh, to catch our hearts, we can become a people that sort of 
just pass the time in our life with God instead of um, what Isaiah calls us to be. Isaiah calls us to be those who are noble, and he says those who are noble plan noble things, and by noble things they stand. I think it's critical for us that we commit to, to noble plans with God. Now, in Isaiah, uh, there's a distinction between the fool and the noble one, and I hope you noticed the fool isn't an idiot, right? That, that's not that's what it means in our culture, but in theirs, it's not the intent. The fool is instead someone who doesn't place God first, right? I mean, it's as simple as that. It's someone who doesn't place God first in their plans, so sometimes, sure, they accidentally line up with what God wants, um, Sometimes, sure, they, they help the poor or they, uh, they care about others, but then um, when things aren't convenient, they ruin the poor with lying words. Uh, they deprive the thirsty of drink uh, and the hungry of food. They utter error concerning the Lord. It's not that we are um, maliciously running from God. It's that we as a people, uh, maybe even Maybe even me personally, as a, as a follower of Christ, haven't been challenged enough to say, what's the goal of your life, right? Where is God calling you to go, and what is He calling you to do? And how does it relate to God's ministry in this world? 1958, um, NASA had eight goals that were um, almost unpronounceable, certainly completely immemorable, and... Um, impossible to inspire. 1961, NASA has one goal, and we all know it. We all probably uh, know it from heart, right? John Kennedy said, I believe this nation should commit itself to achieving a goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to earth. And boy, that was a goal that got us fired up. Uh, that was a goal that captured our hearts and our imaginations and, and called us to do something extraordinary together. There's a wonderful book called The Four Disciplines of Execution by a guy named Chris McChesney. Uh, we've been using this book with our elders for years and our staff for years, and he talks about uh, the first discipline of execution is setting a wildly important goal. You've heard this before, right? A wildly important goal, a wig. Uh, and, and, and the key distinction, the key idea of, of such a goal is not that everything you ever do um, must relate to it, right? He, he recognizes that in any organization, in any family, in any person's life, 80% of what you do every day is just the whirlwind, right? It's the normal stuff that has to get done. Now, you got to get up in the morning, you got to feed the dog, you got to take a shower, you got to go to work, you got to come home and pay the bills, you got to help with the homework, and you got to shovel the snow. Yep, I said it. You got to make dinner, you got to um, talk to your family, you got to read your Bible, I hope, you got to go to bed, you got to do it all over again tomorrow. But in the midst of that whirlwind of our normal operations, a, a wildly important goal comes in and says, Yeah, but here's this great thing that I can be doing. And it colors all of those normal operations. It gives them a purpose beyond themselves, beyond just kind of daily survival. And it takes our extra energy and it devotes it and directs it into something above and beyond us, um, something important, something noble. Those who are noble plan noble things, and by noble things they stand. So I, I ask, um, what are your plans for today? 
What are your plans for today? I, I hope you're planning on worshiping with us. I, I appreciate you doing that. Hope you're planning on sticking around afterwards and watching our endowment panel. And then um, maybe you're planning on um, making lunch and hanging out with your family or walking the dog. Um, I hope you're probably planning on watching the Packers crush the Colts this afternoon and then feeling really good for an hour if they win or feeling really bad for two hours if they lose. Um, but what are your plans for this month that's coming? What, what are your plans for this year that's coming? What, what are your plans for the next three years? What, what's that thing that God's called you to work on and to do that might make sense of your whirlwind and direct your extra time to something that is wildly important? Uh, this could be something related to your spiritual life. Uh, it might be that you're going to commit to read the Bible this year. Uh, it might be you're going to commit to uh, a habit of daily prayer that you haven't done before. Uh, this goal might be related to work. It might be that you're going to commit to see your occupation as a vocation from God and to pray before and during and after your work that as you serve in whatever capacity, you would see um, the face of Christ in those that you're serving. It, it might be that this goal is related to self-care, uh, that you're going to finally talk to a safe person about a, a sin that you've been afraid to admit, or that you're going to work on a new habit, uh, a, a positive habit that you've wanted to begin, or that you're going to walk away from a self-destructive choice or an abusive relationship and remind yourself that Christ wants better for you. I don't know what your wildly important goal might be, you got to figure that out for yourself. But I can tell you how you begin to figure it out. See, whatever your goal is only becomes noble, only becomes worthy when it's part of Christ's goal for this world. One other NASA story, uh, famous one, but apparently sometime after Kennedy's uh, announcement in 61, he was touring one of the NASA facilities. And as he's touring, he sees a janitor uh, in the distance cleaning the floors. And so he breaks off from the tour group and he walks up to the janitor and he says, hi, I'm Jack Kennedy. Uh, what do you do here? And the man, understandably, a little um, uh, flummoxed for a moment, but he says, uh, Mr. President, I, I, I work here. I, I'm working to send a man to the moon. And I love that that janitor got what his purpose was about. Uh, that he, he didn't say, I'm working uh, at minimum wage to feed my family. He, he didn't say, uh, I, I, I mop floors. He said, I know that my purpose is connected to this greater purpose beyond me. And Jesus' greater purpose is so much bigger uh, than Jack Kennedy's, right? That uh, so much more than just putting a man on the moon, Christ's purpose is to put God in the hearts of women and men on earth. Not just to get um, humans to the heavens, but to have humans bring heaven to earth. When Jesus talks about why he came, he has one consistent answer over and over again. He talks about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So, uh, for example, at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, he says, and his first public pronouncement, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent 
and believe in the good news. The Christian goal isn't just salvation, right? If it was, we could all be done, right? If the goal was just to be saved, I could say, well, I'm saved. What else should I do with all the other Sundays and the coming weeks and months and years of my life? The Christian goal is to live in right relationship with God and with each other because of the salvation of Jesus Christ that makes it possible. It's to, to bring this world into this invitation called the kingdom of heaven, which is all those who accept Christ as king and live according to the rules and, and the guidance of our king. It is an experiment to see whether we can make heaven on earth. And, and the beauty is we can, right? We're not going to finish it, right? but we can. Uh, and, and Christ tells us uh, that we will be an essential part of this process. So he has these incredible parables in Matthew 13 where he talks about the kingdom of heaven and where he talks about uh, his great vision, his great mission, his great goal. Uh, and he talks about how the kingdom will come in ways that we do not expect. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree. Jesus knows that um, all the people are hoping for this great victorious moment, right? Where all injustice and evil will be overthrown, where the Romans will be kicked out, where uh, again a, a king in the line of David will ascend to the throne and right worship will happen in Jerusalem and all the nations of the earth will stream into it and bring their glory and worship God and swords will be beaten into plowshares and nations will no longer make war on each other. And Jesus says, yeah, that's not wrong. But it's not going to start the way you think it's going to start. It's not going to start with a grand pronouncement. It's not going to be this time ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and a pillar of fire and cloud that leads you by night and by day. It's going to start different. It's going to start like a tiny mustard seed. So small you can barely see it. But when you plant it, it grows and it grows and it grows. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a woman uh, who takes yeast and works it and mixes it in with three measures of flour until all of the flour is leavened. This is weird because yeast is a negative thing in Judaism, right? It's not good to have yeast. Uh, it's removed in the Passover season. It's symbolic usually of, of something negative, but here Christ says um, it's this invisible thing that works its way through all life, through all kingdoms, through all nations, through all families, through all hearts. Uh, it's this process uh, that um, is inconspicuous, that doesn't mean conquering nations with armies, but conquering hearts with grace, not defeating enemies, but persuading, you to join, persuading them to join you. And I worry that too often we in the church have forgotten that our job is not berating but persuading, not inciting but inviting. That the kingdom of heaven isn't about enduring or escaping or evicting, but about expanding, expanding the reach of God's love and justice, expanding the number of people who respond to the gospel, expanding the community that obeys God and loves each other, expanding the reign of God on earth.
And this is kind of like secret work, right? This is, this is not the, the glorious stuff we imagine. It's, it's kind of like whatever we do, if we're doing it with that goal of God's kingdom's growth, like a mustard seed, like yeast and dough, what we do can be eternally significant. Dr. Martin Luther King talks about this a little bit. He says, whatever your life's work is, do it well, even if it does not fall in the category of one of the so-called big professions, do it well. As one college president said, a man should do his job so well that the living, the dead, and the unborn could do it no better. If it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. See what Dr. King is saying and what Jesus is saying is that this isn't a kingdom that comes by a few extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. This is a kingdom that comes by ordinary people doing ordinary things, equipped by the power and following the plan of an extraordinary God. And so we are called uh, to look at our lives and say, um, what am I doing? Where are my plans lining up with God's plans? How is my life advancing the growth of this kingdom, this reign of God on earth? In, in, in little ways, right? In, in ways that might be as small as a mustard seed or as invisible as the yeast in a batch of dough. I got to tell you, um, I love setting goals for myself. Uh, I love setting goals for the church. Uh, I love the idea of, of uh, you know, shooting for the moon and landing amongst the stars. And maybe that's why this has been such an incredibly exhausting year. Beyond all of the human suffering, which is obviously more important, uh, beyond all of the upheaval that we've all been through, this has been an exhausting year. I had all kinds of great goals for my own life. I had all kinds of great goals for the church of where we would be and what we would do this year. And so many of those ended up on the cutting room floor and the place where my Holy Spirit dreams go not to die, um, but to be put on hold. Because as Jesus tells us in his first parable, the kingdom of heaven is always growing, but so are the weeds. He explains this parable later in the 13th chapter, and he says uh, that the wheat is the children of God, right? that, that God planted and are growing towards the harvest, and the weeds are, are the children of the enemy, um, the, the causes and um, the systems, and yeah, the people sometimes that are committed in opposition to God. And, and the point of this parable is that, yeah, the kingdom of God is always growing, but so are the weeds. And the weeds have been particularly powerful this year it seems and there are times where it feels like they are choking out the wheat of God but I'm reminded of two things I'm reminded first of all that even when my particular plans 
might not come to fruition, the grand plan of which I am a part will march inexorably forward, that no weeds can thwart the will of the sower of wheat. And then I'm reminded as well of, of the words of Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard talks about the, the many challenges that we have all the time of being a disciple of Jesus, of the afflictions of the flesh and the struggles of society and the oppression of others and all the stuff that happens, including really basic normal stuff, sickness and death. And he says, all of that is fine. But circumstances and other people are not in control of your character or of the life that lies endlessly before you. Circumstances and other people are not in control of your character or the life that lies endlessly before you. <laughs> John Ortberg says he was once uh, in a conversation with Dallas Willard and having kind of a bad day. Maybe it was a bad week or a bad month or, or a bad year. And Willard said, John, how are you doing today? And John said, okay, under the circumstances. And Dallas said, what are you doing under there? What are you doing under the circumstances? You shouldn't be under the circumstances. The, the purpose of your life, the pursuit of joy and peace and happiness, the expansion of God's kingdom shouldn't be determined just on the circumstances of your life. You shouldn't be under them. You should be under the power of the Holy Spirit. You should be under the grace of Jesus Christ. You should be under the wings of God your Father. And if you are, then whatever the circumstances and whatever the other people in your life and whatever weeds grow up, you will see the wheat continue to grow. And under the wings of God, as Isaiah says, we are still called to be like a hiding place from the wind, a covert from the tempest, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. So however difficult our circumstances, Christ calls us to do something wildly important. We're called to know those two days, right? The day we're born again and the day we discover why Jesus called us to eternal life. We're called to find how our lives fit into the great plan of our God and, and to make wildly important goals that make sense of the whirlwind of our days and give color to our ordinary life and give um, direction beyond it. So I, I want to ask you today to start thinking about what your goals might be in your spiritual life. Uh, and this isn't something I expect you to do today, right? I expect this to take a while. Uh, but maybe today begin and say, God, what do you want for me in my life with you this month? God, is there something um, that might um, bring my life together and give it focus that could be a goal for me in this coming year or in several years to come? God, how is my plan part of your plan of the coming of the kingdom of God on earth?
Isaiah says that we are noble. Quite literally, he says, See, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule with justice. The king is Jesus. The princes are us, right? We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's own people called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are called to be noble, and those who are noble plan noble things, and by noble things they stand. May it be so for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.